Hello and welcome to another edition of the Tigers Down Under, back for another episode. It's your host, Alex, as well as Dan. How are you, Dan? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm okay. Uh, I don't know, it's been a tough couple of games. All of my enthusiasm for my previous time on the show has just about been eradicated. And um, yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a tough sort of situation we find ourselves in. I think it was Logan last week who was also pretty optimistic coming into these games. You know, Peterborough uh, sort of down in the relegation zone alongside us. Luton, um, uh, you know, a side travelling pretty well, but not a side that we should have feared by any means. Um, so to come away with two losses is certainly dispiriting. Um, there was some news that broke last night that might cheer people up a little bit, which we'll get into after we discuss the games. Um, but I guess, yeah, we'll start with that Peterborough game. Um, we, at this stage, not too surprised at the fact that we were still using the 4-3-3 formation. Um, I don't think there was any significant changes to the side from the previous game. I think Huddleston coming into the side was maybe the only change that I can think of. Maybe Doherty coming in as well. Um, I don't think started the previous game. Um, Huddleston looked a class above. As we know, he just looks a class above when he plays. Um, and it was a real shame that he only lasted the 20 minutes. Um, I guess from that perspective, is there concern from you about his ability to sort of hold up over the course of the season? Yeah, look, I think I might have mentioned it to you maybe privately in the chat or something around after the game. that It's potentially really now telling that year off that he had, um, that regardless of, you know, how much he was, was training or maintaining his fitness, you know, that, that match level fitness and that championship level, um, you know, pace and, and everything is 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 obviously missing, and particularly then you go with his age as well. Um, mm-hmm. Certainly not a young player, so probably already getting to the point in his career where he's probably more likely to sustain these sorts of soft tissue injuries. Um, it sort of all adds up for a pretty bleak picture. Um, look, I mean, fingers crossed. It's all just a couple of unfortunate, you know, coincidences, and that after this. Um, you know, strong rehab and, and, you know, the second half of the season, he can play an important role. Um, but perhaps, you know, it just means that we have to just manage him a little better or a little smarter, which perhaps even means, you know, he's the one that comes on in a situation where you really need to manage the game. So maybe that's the last 20 minutes where he's really looking to replace a midfielder. Maybe that's actually his go to come on late, be able to control um, he seems, to, you know, we know his capabilities and his quality, you know, on and off the ball. So if he's, if you need to be able to to push and be playing nice long like long balls into to get your wingers in behind, well, he's going to be the best option we have to to play a pass like that. Um, you know, he, it's just crazy how I just I'm always in awe of him in a tight space or whatever. He's always, you know, he play almost exclusively plays one touch football. Yeah. Um, and you know, ninety percent of the time hits his hits his target. Um, a couple of moments where, you know, they're looking to get it, get out of trouble, and he just tapped it like off and behind him. Um, and I think Elder might have overrun it a little bit or something. Had to go back and retrieve, but you go, he was able to move the ball on straight away. Where, you know, essentially our other midfielders would have brought it down, had a look, and then played it, whereas he already knew where it needed to go. Which is sort of, and that's you know to that quality, that class above. But 
I think, yeah. He's, he's a big loss because he was, he was outstanding for that first period. And it, it is a big blow. It was a big blow in the game. I think that sort of turned out to be a decisive factor. I think his, his game management and his smarts would have really been an asset um, throughout, you know, even if he was on for just the, the rest of the first half or for an hour, I think it would have made a huge, huge difference. Um, yeah, certainly. Maybe. I mean, he, cause he played, did he play the 90 minutes against Swansea and, um, or well, was it Bournemouth or someone around that time? He played the back-to-back games and we kept clean sheets and, um, mm. It seemed as if his fitness base, his fitness base, and his, um, I guess, his body was sort of up to up to scratch for the season. So it could be, as you say, just an unfortunate one. Um, I mean, he did his other injury and his other hamstring injury in training. Maybe we just sort of give him extra time to to lay off. Maybe we just say, look, put him in cotton wool for until the new year. Give him, you know, essentially a second preseason, get him up to speed, take him really cautiously because I guess. The concern would be if he's going to keep doing these hamstring injuries, whether he, he does just suffer a serious one that puts him out for the rest of the season. Um, yeah. You don't want to sort of risk that happening. Yeah, or perhaps, you know, you even have to run his return through the under-23s this time yeah. Um, yeah. in a, a lower-risk environment where he's still playing, you know, getting getting some, some minutes under his belt um, to avoid essentially, yeah, having that moment in a big game, in a game that we um, pretty much they're all must-wins now at the minute. So, um, <laughs> yeah. To, to, to lose a big player in those games is is um, it's pretty pretty tough to take. Yeah. Um, I guess the other player to call out from that starting 11 who had a pretty eventful afternoon was uh, or evening was uh, Josh Magenis. Scored the equaliser just before halftime when we thought, you know, hopes were sort of sinking. Peterborough had taken the lead. Um, almost immediate reply. Elder with a great cross in, rewarded by Magenis. It, it felt like a goal from last season and it's really um, frustrating that we haven't been able to to capitalise on these more often with those crosses coming in from either, um, I guess, Elder and, and Emmanuel were probably the two best with it, but Coyle as well has, has been able to put a few good crosses into the box. Um, getting Magenis on the end of one of those was really rewarding, um, so we went in at halftime 1-1. Um, but we got the good and the bad of Josh Magenis in this game with uh, stepping up to take that penalty. Do you think he has a pretty reasonable penalty scoring record with us, I would say? Um, I, I can't think of any other misses, in particular, I know Wilkes has taken a few penalties, but I mean, maybe it just says a bit that we haven't had that many penalties over the last 18, 24 months. Um, but certainly he'd want his time back over with that, that effort. Oh, the, 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 it's just atrocious, the penalty. Like, honestly, it was just, I, I just don't know, like, what he was, just what he was thinking. Like, why? Like, he just skied it. Like, it was, yeah. It was, yeah. It's nowhere near the goal. Like, what, just, yeah, I don't know. But I guess he was, maybe he was thinking back to that free kick he took that, that he absolutely oh, yeah. Yeah. That the, that he nailed, that he just smashed the um, leather off the ball. But I don't know. Yeah, it was like the, obviously the goal he scored to, to equalise um, was great and, you know, then put us in a really strong position. And even at that point I was, you know, I was coming, you know what, actually we should, we can take something from this game, you know, it, we, you know, we, I thought we were playing pretty well. We were sort of undone with the, um, to concede. Then we equalised really quickly. So I thought, you know, we've, we've re- regained parity and probably, you know, taken momentum back again. Um, and I guess that becomes another one of those moments, you know, like if that goes in, perhaps, you know, well, one, we're, at the very worst, we probably draw two all. Um 
But I think, you know, if we go ahead, it almost perhaps then turns into one of those games where we get another one and we, and we go 3-1. Um, was sort of the feeling I was getting that whoever was going to score, if mm. there was time, would go and would, would take the momentum and sort of run away. But um, it wasn't to be. Um, and just, yeah, it was just another one of those games that just, like all of the other losses essentially, that we sh- that, that was there for us to take and we've let it slip through our fingers again and against a you know relegation rival, so to speak, is um, yeah, pretty pretty particularly frustrating. Yeah, and I guess the biggest frustration is, as you say, it's the performances haven't been particularly poor. Um, I mean, the Luton Town performance in some ways felt worse, but in some ways better. Um, for, for different reasons, but mm. I, I haven't watched too many of our games. Maybe the Derby game was probably the worst performance I'm, I'm trying to think of, but there haven't been too many games that have, that I've gotten to the end of and thought, geez, we were really awful in this mm. game. Um, and, and in some ways that's, that's worse because it means we're not really changing what we're doing. We're sort of hoping that, oh, if we just stick with it, it'll kind of, the tide will turn, um, which must be McCann's logic, I suppose. Um if, if we had like a really shocking like 5-0 belting and we just looked awful, then maybe that would shock us into a bit more for a change. But these sort of 1-0 losses or 2-1 losses um, sort of showing that we're not actually out of games as much as, as we might think. It's just, you know, oh, it's a bit mm. of bad luck here or there, um, which in some ways makes it a bit more frustrating. Um, I mean, as you, you're sort of alluding to there, I mean, Pettiborough almost got a third right at the end of the game as well, where I think it was Dembele again having scored the um, the goal to go ahead, who could have scored a, another goal on the counter. And I think it was just the fact that Ingram was up the pitch trying to get the equaliser that it meant that oh. he was in, he ended up being offside, which is quite funny. Yeah, um, that was good. Yeah. That. That, was, that was that game, yes. Ingram yeah. Ingram up for the, for the corner or whatever, the free kick. And My wife went past and... the screen and was was looking at Ingram up for the corner and just thought, what's he doing up there? I was trying to explain the concept that, well, when it's that late in the game, you might want to risk it to try and get the equaliser. Um, yeah, so I, I think the most damaging part about this game is just the fact that it was a game we couldn't afford to lose against the side near us in the relegation zone. Um, it's early in the season, granted. There's a lot of water to go under the bridge, but losing to Derby, losing to Peterborough, that's that's the worrying ones, I think. Yeah, I think, you know, those the relegation six-pointers or whatever we're always talking about, that, that's one of them and I think that was you know they beat us and, and leapfrogged us then I think out of that bottom three so mm-hmm. you know and, that, then, and, then they, and then they did exactly what we were hoping we were hoping to do and they went off and won midweek as well against um oh I can't remember who they played midweek but they've they've now got back-to-back wins under their belts and suddenly looking a whole lot better and mm-hmm. that's the sort of momentum that we would have been hoping for yeah, um, not to be though, unfortunately. Not to be. Um, who were your MVP votes for this game? And we'll move on to Luton. Um, <laughs> look, I, I'll probably go. Yeah, yeah. Sort of. I have. Yeah, I'm looking at what's there. I did the bad thing again of looking at it before I made my decisions. Um, and I sort of. You, I think Elders a good. Good shout for three, um, you know, the assist, um, you know, and another, you know, strong performance down the left side. Um, I would love to give points to Magenis for scoring 
but then I'm also really cross at him for missing he's, the penalty. Yeah, he's sort of a net neutral for me. He gains the points for scoring, but then loses them again for the penalty miss. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, I don't even... I don't even know. Um, I'm, I, like, I see what you've got here, and I can sort of agree, but I'm also actually not... The last couple of games, some really stupid yellow cards that I'm not particularly happy with because he's now one away from a suspension. Yeah, I did um, say that. Which has not made me um, that pleased. Uh, I'm just going to go with his partner um, for no other reason than I can't think of anyone else. So I'm going to give it to Greaves um, for the two points. And I think you're right. Huddleston, one point, 20 minutes, and the impact he had was like, yeah, <laughs> it's. It, yeah, just wild. So, yeah. So I've gone. I've gone elder for the three as well. I've gone Bernard for the two. I think you're right, though. That I think particularly the Luton game. I, I think I said in the chat that I thought he was going to get sent off in that game because he just he does give away a lot of silly fouls. And look, to be fair to him, he's probably getting pretty frustrated. He's probably, you know, he, he's here on loan. He, he he wants to get a get his career going. He wants to be playing well in the side winning games, and just losing week after week. I'm sure the frustration's building. So. I wouldn't be surprised if there's a red card um, in one of these uh, centre backs or centre midfielders in the coming weeks, um, um, depending on how things go. I think, but um, yeah, so I've got Bernard for the two, and then yeah, Huddleston for the one. And I sort of it was funny. I sort of viewed the Huddleston one vote as um, as being. Um, you know, just similar to like if a player comes off the bench late in the game and has a really good cameo at the end of the game, they can sort of get into the votes. And he just had his cameo at the start of the game, but uh, certainly head and shoulders above everyone else on the pitch from my point of view. Um, okay, Luton on the weekend. I saw the lineup for this one, and I just, as you sort of opened the podcast by saying that all your confidence is sort of sapping away, I think a lot of my confidence for City are sapping away as well. And you see that lineup, Smallwood in for, for Huddleston is the only change. And you think same team, same result. And, and sure enough, one goal margin, yep, 1-0 loss, but no goal. Um, didn't didn't look too attacking, too, too threatening. I don't think we created a whole lot. I mean, we did get a few passages where we, we sort of tried, tried our best. But um, just what can you say about it? <laughs> Not much, not not much to be honest. I think like after the Derby game, this is probably the worst like generally foot football performance. Put in context, I guess though, you know, against Luton, who's I think now like in the top six or just on the edge, actually going really well. So when you put in perspective, perhaps you know we just weren't allowed to play the football we wanted to play. Um, but I guess that you know, I, I don't know, it was pretty. Uh, it's pretty average for long periods. I think we created too much. Um, I just wish we had another player like Halston who would actually could be coming and do that same. I just don't like Smallwood. Um, isn't like he's good, but he's just different. I don't know. There's too many high energy sort of dudes in that middle at, at times. I just want. Somewhat like a calming influence that, like, Mike Huddleston is. That's what is perhaps most frustrating about his uh, continued absence now is that 
Well, I, th I think it was preseason or might have been the end of last season with yourself or Logan or might have been both where I was sort of championing the cause of bringing in Curtis Davies, who himself was essentially championing the cause when he gave that interview end of last season to say, you know, Ahab has his number, give him a ring. And you look at the performances that he's putting in for Derby this season, he's scored two or three goals. He's They've kept a, a bunch of clean sheets. They're grinding out results. They've got tiny squad and and you look at the performances they're putting in and it's it's not half down to the the leadership they have at the back granted they have a few other players there as well like Jagielka who's probably helping but you can't help but look at Davies and you think he would have been cheap he probably would have been pretty happy to come across um not knowing what what it was looking like for Derby um you bring him and, and Huddleston into the side and and maybe you don't bring both in maybe that's sort of the risk that they sort of weighed up and they went Huddleston but um, you look at, I mean, hindsight obviously helps, but you look at Davies and he's been pretty fit. He's been playing every, every game for Derby, I think. Um, but but even just any experienced centre-back, there are plenty of centre-backs out there that we could have been, been able to bring in on a reasonably cheap um, contract. And, and instead we've sort of spammed centre midfielders. We've just gone out and got a whole bunch of centre midfielders who aren't even making the squad. Matt Smith's not even making the squad, I think, at the moment. Mm. And you just think... What was the what was the strategy? Yeah, look, I think it's just another one of those things we've talked about countless times that, that the decision making and the recruitment seems very short sighted. Um, you know, it's almost like they did sit in the boardroom and just go, "What do we want?" And like flipped a coin, like heads as a midfielder, tails as a centre back, like midfielder it is. Oh, we've already got seven now. We'll get another one anyway. I don't know. Yeah. Like, it's just, it doesn't make sense to have so much, you know, as you sort of saying, Doherty, Smith, Honeyman, uh, Smallwood, Monker, Cannon. Uh, Cannon, you know, who just, it's just, I mean, like, you talk about depth and stuff, but we've got, we're overloaded there and then, Underloaded in other in other areas, and it's yeah. it's just not right. We yeah yeah. This, um, but anyway, yeah, that's that's particularly frustrating. But yeah, um, I, I think probably our, our best chance came second half when Eves was able to. I think the keeper had come out for the ball. Eves sort of took a touch. Uh, KLP was sort of central. If he'd been able to play the ball to KLP for him to tap home, um, probably would have gone to 1-1. That was probably our best chance of the game. Um, you can say unlucky, you know. You can say, like, he, you know, he had to bring the ball under control to pass it out to, a, to KLP. But, um, again, it's sort of just these fine margins not falling our way um, to give us any sort of result. Um, but, yeah, I mean, there's not a whole lot to say about the Luton game, I suspect, because it's just the same story game after game. Yeah, um, yeah. Nice kit, nice away kit to see that one run out, but uh, yeah. that was about it. <laughs> yeah, it prob probably is the highlight. Um, I mean, to be fair, I think actually like Eves has been actually fairly impressive um, this season so far. Um, yeah. I think his contributions have actually been have been good and he's, every time he's come on the pitch, he's had actually had a positive impact, um, which, is, which is obviously like a, a very different story to the last time in the championship where it just seemed like he was all at sea all the time. So that's, I mean, if you can take a positive from the game, maybe that's a positive. If he is con continued or like ability to now have an impact, obviously not 
this was so close to the extent that we needed, um, almost set up the goal as you're just referencing, but um, yeah, but still, yeah, in terms of overall, it's, yeah, same old, same again, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, my MVP votes for this game, um, I've gone for KLP for the three votes. I think he was probably our most effective forward other than Eves, as you said there. Um, I thought he put in a really good shift again. And, and, and as sort of just touched on there, could have come away from the game with a goal um, with a bit of luck. So I've gone for him for the three votes. Elder again, getting in the votes for two. Um, I think he's just one that I sort of focus on most weeks I suspect because you know there's the Aussie connection which helps but he, he puts in strong performances I, I'm I'm becoming more and more doubtful about Coyle at this level um, I'm just not seeing as much from him as I, I was hoping to see after last season I'm really hoping that we do get to see Emmanuel back in the side sooner rather than later because it does feel like we're a lot weaker down that side at the moment um, so Elder certainly stepping up um, quite well for, for that side and Sort of similar to the logic with the Huddleston vote from the last game, I'm giving one vote to Williams in this game. I thought he looked quite tidy as well when he came on late in the game and really sort of um, uh, looked more looked looked a lot more lively or looked a lot more composed, I guess, than he did in that derby performance, which I think was probably the last main performance that we've seen from him. Yeah, look, I think um, so, I mean my votes again are not going to be much different. Uh, probably maybe just switch out Elder for Ease um, and only just for the reasons that I've previously highlighted. But I think on Williams, you're right. It was nice. I guess you know when he re- when he played before, he was still or he's on the re- just on his recovery from con- having contracted uh, COVID, I believe. Yeah. So now that's all well and gone, and we did sort of say in that those couple of performances before that he didn't seem like he had that energy, seemed a bit lethargic, a bit, um, you know, lost on his touch and all those sorts of things. But he, um, you know, in his 10 or 15 minutes, looked quite um, dynamic and trying to make some things happen. Um, you know, a couple of nice, decent runs and good involvement. So um, positive signs for the future because I think, um, you know, as we've alluded to a couple of times, uh, I mean, like, not that we probably won't make any changes, but... I think change is what's needed because I think you look at over the course of the season and then we change to the 3-5-2 for the one game. I don't know, don't care about the reasons why, whether it was just to do with personnel being in or out or available or whatever, but we changed and we had a result. Yeah. And then, so, you know, and then, you know, it was one of the, we were going, well, sure, you don't change a winning formula. They do. And we go back to a losing formula and now then like, Surely, it's got to come a time soon. We just go. We, we can't. You can't keep flogging a dead horse like this. Is yeah. not working at this level. Right? I did have the, yeah, I did have the thought today that um because Jones, I think, is still out injured. I do wonder if. I mean, it's frustrating because I feel like if Grant McCann came out and said, "I would want to try the three, the three three five two formation again," but I don't have the confidence or don't have the 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 trust that you know we have the depth center back to to make that formation um work because if we're playing mclaughlin bernard and graves at the back if one of them gets injured then we've basically got no center backs left so if he came out and said sort of you know oh it's just sort of injury permitting it's personnel who are available um that's why we're sticking with the 433 i think a lot of people would at least to some extent say oh okay well i don't necessarily agree but i can at least understand where you're coming from um so we'll be curious when Jones is fit if we 
well, by the time Jones is fit, McCann might be gone. That's something we'll talk about in a second. But it would be curious to see if when Jones is fit, if there is any sort of sense of moving to a different formation that um, is a bit more successful. Yeah, and I think like just touching on what you were saying about, you know, if McCann just said something, because I was reading, you know, I think it was might have been Cooper um, writing for the Daily Mail saying like that McCann's not winning any fans by his refusal to engage yeah. in, in interviews and post-matches and all this sort of stuff. Um because he's, you know, upset at the questions that are being asked or something. Like at the end of the day, that that it's his job. His job is yeah. to front up to the media. That's part of his job, part of his responsibility. If he can't deal with that, and he can't deal with the the criticism or whatever that's coming in the questioning. Well, then he should just step aside. Because yeah. he, if he can't like he can't deal with it, then he can't, he can't handle the heat. Get out of the kitchen, essentially. Yeah, um, I think I can't remember if it was Baz's article or someone else saying. If he has any aspirations or ambitions to be any sort of serious top quality, top level manager at a bigger club, so to speak, you know, big, bigger, bigger club in the Premier League or anywhere like that, you're not going to have the ability to just shut out the media. Um, you can kind of get away with it at a championship level or a League One level when the spotlight's sort of off you. But does that sort of show that you don't have that ambition, that you don't have that confidence in your in your own ability to to actually answer the questions and to justify your thought process? Um, because if you have any sort of sense of wanting to, to make that step up, you're going to have to get used to it sooner rather than later. Yeah, I don't know. And I guess, you know, is this one of those things where he doesn't want to reveal his thought process because he doesn't have one, essentially? Yeah, exactly. yeah, and, and not that he doesn't have a thought process, but that his hands are yeah, being tied yeah. by, yeah, you know, yeah. by Ehabs. There's you know, no actual reasoning for it. Yeah, yeah, but it's just he's being told if he, if he doesn't play a 4 or 3 or he doesn't do this or whatever, that, you know, and it's... From uh, from the experience over the past few years, I mean that could very well be a reality that you know he's been given a you know instruction or you know um, and that he has no way around to, to get around that. So, but yeah, I don't know. I think that's that's a problem for both the short and the long term. That I guess like it's a continuing trend of a lack of transparency within the club and, and their goings on. Well, speaking of goings on at the club, it's a good transition. Um, we can talk about the news that broke last night, our time, um, I guess, yesterday morning, UK time, um, regarding the potential takeover. And, you know, I'd sort of seen for a few weeks now sort of um, comments or um, information from various people who did seem to have a good sense of what was going on. But at the same time, you do have to take a lot of that with a grain of salt because you don't have anything official to confirm that that's actually the case. Um, so it was interesting to see the article come out last night from Turkey basically saying, um, as, as we've sort of seen with a few of these articles from Turkey, I think they're a little bit overconfident in, in the language that they use where they said the club has been sold um, 30 million pounds up front, 20 million pounds if we're promoted, which sounds like it's if we're promoted anytime in the next three or four seasons. Um, so it could, could end up being a £50 million sale for the Alums, which basically recovers all of their debt and then some, um, which from their point of view makes sense. From the club's point of view, I dare say that probably makes sense the way that that's structured, where if we if we get promoted to the Premier League and we're bringing in £200 million plus, um, that £20 million to sort of pay for that is not, is not a huge deal. Um, I think the key part to take out of this, because it looks like, I mean, Burnsy and Baz have done their own research from the UK side to basically see that, no, it hasn't been finalised and, and locked in, but it sounds like, you know, the deposit's been paid so that 
that the uh, consortium can do their due diligence on the club. Um, heads of heads of agreement have been signed, which essentially means that the structure of the deal has been signed off on. Um, I, I, I don't know the technicalities on it. I suspect there's probably some scope that if there was some big sort of quirk in the system through the due diligence that there was some issue, the price could maybe change slightly, plus or minus a little bit. Um, it's probably just going to give the, the consortium a bit of comfort in in what they've seen in the accounts that weren't part of the publish, uh, publicly available accounts. Um, but it gives a sense that, you know, there's a, there's at least something tangible there now. It's there's uh, For me, I think, especially with the deposit having been paid, I think you kind of have to think back to the last time I think we got to this stage with the takeover. It was the um, Dai Yong um, Chinese consortium who paid the deposit, locked in the purchase at the club, you know, the alums wrote their farewells in the um, in the programs and it was only the Premier League fit and proper test, um, ironically failing these guys, but not the uh, Saudi Arabians at Newcastle, but that's that's another story. But um, essentially that by the time you get to a point where the deposit's been paid, everything's locked in, it's not something where the alums are suddenly going to move the goalpost and stuff the deal up, which I think a lot of people are afraid of. It's more something outside of the club's control that could scupper it at this stage, essentially meaning that, it's it's all but done. It's just a matter of time. Yeah, look, um, it is. There are lots of lots of good signs that this. Oh, how many years now? Uh, of seven, of tail talk. Years? I think it must be um, seven or eight years um, since the just after the FA Cup final. I'm guessing mm, it would have been. Um, of all of this talk of, of selling the club, um, well, is it? Yeah, it's pretty. It would be pretty much after the name change debacle. Yeah, is it? So yeah, which would have been. I think. I think. It, yeah. I think because it was. It was ruled on late in that season, and then I think they appealed it on some technicality, and then that was overruled, and then mm. that was the point where they said, "Up, oh, we'll, we'll sell it tomorrow." Which yeah, it's been a long twenty-four oh, hours. Long, long tomorrow. But uh, you know, perhaps a new dawn finally uh, on the horizon. Um if I may get so metaphorical. Um, but, look, I think, you know, I think it'll be, it'll be positive. Um, you know, we'll finally have, you know, and, and some air of positivity around the club, some new new owners are going to come in and they're going to want to invest to try and, um, you know, meet their goals. My only concern is the talk about that they just want to take us to the Premier League and then essentially they're just trying to flip the club. You know, take us to the Premier League, sell for a profit, move on. Um, that's the only thing that I'm concerned about is that are we going to be able, are they going to actually put in place long-term planning structures if they're only essentially working on a short-term, yeah. like if they're only working on a five-year plan or a three-year plan or whatever, you know, is. And also, have this... what, what what happens if if three years down the track we're still a middling or mm. lower championship club? What, what do, do they give up, or do they put more money in, or do they pull money out, or yeah? Mm. So there, are, like those are my concerns. Um, but you know, I, I there's nothing I can you know there's no way for me to you know have no crystal ball. I can't do anything about it. Um, so I mean, I'm I'm still eagerly anticipating the official announcement that the Allens have um, sold the club. But, that, you know, got to get that corner flag starched and, and pressed yeah. and ready to go for the photo shoot. Mm. Um, and oh, some 
terribly written pompous letter from Ehab to the justifying to, how to they've the left fans. it in such a good position and yeah. to all the accomplishments that they've achieved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, thanking, think, thanking the fans for their support. I'm sure yeah. all in there, <laughs> which would just feel like you know a little yeah. bit like a salt in the wound or something. I don't know, but. Um, um, I guess as I sort of expressed in, in, in our chat the other day when, or the, yesterday when this broke about my my feelings are similar to yours and sort of looking at the situation as some pretty clear positives or pretty clear um, ways to be optimistic about this where even, even taking it as a worst-case scenario situation of say they come in, um, they're financially irresponsible, and they are basically worse owners than the Alums. My my sense would be because, well, and I guess I am being a little bit um, cautious, optimistic on this front, but my sense would be that if everything did go wrong, they would probably just try and sell the club again and that unlike the Alums, they'd probably just cut their losses and, and sell the club and leave. Um, it wouldn't be such a drawn-out, slow death of the club as it has been with the Alums, who as, as locals who live in Hull, who have that sort of pride and and sort of um, hubris of running a club, um, I would think people without that connect, and I could be wrong, but people without that connect to the area, and as we sort of say, if they've only got a short-term interest in sort of getting the club to the Premier League, flipping it and then selling it, doesn't seem to me like they'd be the sort to hold on to the club and sort of build up all these losses. I think that they would sort of go, so I sort of think of it like um, Sunderland, which... Um, maybe not the best example, um, but I mean, they were they were acquired in League One, I think, by a new owner. Tried to get them promoted to the Championship, failed. Realised he was out of his depth and sold it. A, a season, eighteen months later, um, I sort of look at it a bit like that, and maybe that's me being optimistic. But that's sort of how I would say, okay, worst case scenario, I think it's still going to be better because they're not going to sort of cling on to the club. But who knows? Um, yeah, yeah. I think yeah, you're probably right. Like, or perhaps in that you know that if they're coming at it, you know, as it's a business proposition, um, they have no you know direct ties to the local area. They're not locals. They're not going to have yeah those those motivations to to try and hold on, you know, and do the right thing. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. Like they'll just go. All right, this this was a this didn't work out. Um, see you later and then move on to their next project or, or whatever they're going to do. But, um, yeah, look, very exciting uh, times ahead, hopefully. Um, but we'll see. And then I guess the big question that we're sort of, we've sort of danced around previously in the discussion about Grant is um, I, I would think almost certainly when they come in that McCann would be um, let go. Who who do you see as a realistic um, target that we could look at to come in as manager in that situation? Um, to be honest, it depends. Oh, look, I there's a couple of a couple of candidates that come to mind. One of them, I think, it depends on like on these new owners and what sort of a you know if they're purely on um, like. Results and they just want to go straight to the Premier League, then they probably won't go with who's in my head. If they do actually want to try and start off their relationship with the fans in a really positive way, um, and then I would not be surprised if someone, you know, perhaps, you know, the return of Steve Bruce or something like that, if he's still available. 
if an approach was made to him, you know, because I think he didn't leave us on bad, like, he didn't leave the fans on bad terms. Left on no. bad terms with the Allens, but, you know, just about everybody who has left the club has left the club on bad terms with the Allens. So, um, and I think, like, you know, he all of our, all, pretty much our most successful period was with him at the helm. Um, I'll be obviously in the Premier League, more money, more things going on, but I could see that as potentially a really successful reunion given, you know, how many, what he takes out of the championship three? Twice. Twice, yeah, twice. twice yeah. So, um, you know, he's, he knows not only the club and, and the local, like the lay of the land, so to speak, he knows the championship, right? He's good at working on a budget if he had a budget. Um, you know, I think he wouldn't be silly, uh, a silly option um, to consider if he's, you know, ready to jump back in. He may want to break after the whole Newcastle thing because that, I'm sure, was freaking horrendous for him. Um, otherwise, and now I've blanked on the other names that are that we've been floating around. Um, well, I think I, th- I think I saw the rather the rather appropriately named Alex Neal, um, oh, no relation yeah. to myself, <laughs> um, was one name that I'd seen floating around as well as I think Chris Hewton's probably the other main candidate. Um, both of whom, I, I mean, probably Hewton I'd prefer over Neal. I think Neal's probably, I mean, it's always funny with managers, you sort of unconsciously compare them to a footballer in the sense that, oh, he's past his best, he's, you know, whatever. But all it takes is being in the right footballing environment and, and actually a manager can excel again. But um, Hewton's probably got the more recent good record. I mean, he was managing in the Premier League with Brighton not too long ago. Um, it's easy to forget um, that that was where he was last essentially managing before this spell at Forest. Um and you never know, like that that forest spell. There's there's a lot of factors that come into play that can, can lead to that not working out. Um, and it's very easy to sort of only think of a manager by their last managerial stint. But I think Hutton's still very well credentialed, and and if there is some sort of budget for him to work with under the new owners, I think he's one that could do quite well as well. But yeah, I think it'll be very interesting to see if slash when the new owners come in, if they do try to bring in the supporters groups and, and others from the area to try and have that sort of, I mean, if it was me buying a club, I'd want to get some understanding of the, the context of the club, the history of the club, um, you know, some of the ideas of the locals on what could be done to to better engage with the fans, all those sorts of things. And you would, you'd be surprised if they didn't bring up in those sorts of meetings, the potential of a reunion with Steve Bruce, um, mm-hmm would certainly be on the cards. I mean, the other one who's also a reunion of sorts, so I saw, I can't remember where I first saw this suggested, was Liam Rossinia, who's um, assistant manager at Derby at the moment, doing a tremendous job with them. Um, maybe maybe doesn't have the experience to, to sort of be confidently brought in to get us out of a relegation scrap, but if you want like a young up-and-coming manager with a connection to the club, I mean, he'd be a good option as well. Mm, I think, um, look, uh... I would, for I probably would lean away from Rosinha as head coach. I probably would absolutely be, you know, interested in grabbing him as an assistant, primarily for that, like, uh, probably at this stage, lack of connections in terms of recruitment and stuff. Because yeah. even if you like look at, you know, whether it's Steve Bruce or whatever, right? You go, he's been at Newcastle for three years. Sure, like. There was things that didn't work at the, you know, the fans and whatever. But I'm sure he still has, you know, relationships with players. 
he has we know he's got relationships with lots of other managers from the work you know the recruitment he was able to do well with us so i think being in a position where you've got relationships players generally know what you're about um you know you have the bit of experience i think is really probably what we're going to have to go for um you know in that if slash when the takeover happens if slash when McCann gets um you know gets the the, the letter of release essentially he follows yeah. the albums closely out the, out the doors um it, it is they might even carry his bags out for him yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is very funny having had um newcastle uh, newcastle's takeover go go through in the last few weeks because newcastle and us seem to be quite parallel in in the the troubles with the owners the relief when the owners have finally left um and then I mean, ironically, because it was Bruce at Newcastle, but also just having unpopular managers potentially leaving the clubs. Um, I, you know, it, it's almost like we've seen the blueprint of of how our our takeover could be handled as well. Um, so it will be interesting to see what happens. I suspect. I mean, my gut is that we're looking at probably the next international break, which is mid November. Probably make a lot of sense for the takeover to be mm. try to try to finalise it in I don't know the days before that, maybe relieve Grant at the start of the international break. And I would hope, as I think I was saying to you guys, I would hope that they've already got a short list and, and a few ideas of who they'd want to bring in. Um, I think sort of just talking back about our concerns, potential concerns about the new ownership, I'd be really worried if, we, if they brought in a completely unknown Turkish manager with no experience in the championship. I think that would be a big red flag. I don't think I'd have much confidence in, in anyone without experience in the championship being able to keep, keep us up. Um, so that'd be a big worry. I'd really hope they just look at, even if it's an Alex Neal, even if it's a Chris Uden or a whoever, just someone who has experience in this league is what's needed, I think, at this stage. Yeah, look, I, I think you sort of touched on the same sort of thing that I was alluding to, that mm. the knowledge of the knowledge of the division, knowledge of the of the, the local area, the local players, mm. all that sort of stuff. And I think you're right. Like if the, there was talk of them wanting to bring in or, or uh, what's it, Alan Ilakai or whatever wanted to bring in Turkish manager, Turkish players and have, you know, Hull City represent Turkey in the championship and eventually the Premier League. I've, I'm hoping and get a sense that that's just like his personal spiel and it doesn't necessarily represent the broader consortium as a whole because in terms of like that, you know, if they're coming at this from a business perspective, then narrowing your focus and your options in, such a way is probably bad business in terms of running a football mm. club. Limiting your options just because you want to have a connection to home doesn't make any sense. You know, yeah, you, and, you should, and, you know, they'll be looking for the what they the, the best value for money, the best um, you know options available. Hopefully, yeah. to to for them to reach their goals as quick as possible because that's what they they're going to yeah. want us to get to the Premier League as, as soon as we can, so they can you know recoup, you know make money, all that sort of. Stuff. And you don't you don't need a full like I don't mind the idea of sort of similar to that first promotion season under Bruce of bringing in Ghetto and Fatty on loan from Egypt and having a bit of Egyptian representation, which I suspect was the alums getting excited because Bruce has a good relationship with Elmer Hamity already, so he had an Egyptian in the side, and the alums probably went, oh great, let's let's try and bring in a few more Egyptian players to get a bit of a connection going. I don't mind a couple of players coming in to grow that sort of connection and to get more gain more interest from back in in Turkey for the club, that sort of thing. And again, a top level manager from Turkey 
was sort of an option that got brought across. I'm not as opposed to that, but I think right in this instant with the relegation battle that we're in and even going for promotion from the championship, I think it's just too risky to go with an unknown manager at this level and um, and in this sort of situation. Yeah, absolutely. 100% agree. All right. Well, we kind of spent a bit more time on that than I thought we were, but <laughs> I think there's a lot to... Lot to mull over and um, speculate on, but we'll move on then to the uh, the triple flashback feature before we finish off with our preview of the Coventry game. And um, we did sort of talk a bit earlier about Bernard's yellow cards lately and the fact that we think there could be a red card coming in the next few weeks. So I thought the appropriate quiz question for this week was, can you name the last three players to receive a red card for Hull City in the league? Pro- probably not, um, but I'll <laughs> give it a crack. <laughs> Two of them for this season, so that might help. Oh god, I can't even remember who got who got red card this season. <laughs> and and to be honest, to be honest, I'd actually forgotten one of these. I thought I thought one of the three was going to be Josh Magenis. So there's a freebie that it's not Josh Magenis, but I thought uh, he's a crap. That was one of my that was one of my guesses. He always gets the red card, but there's actually been one more recently that that kind of bumps him off the list. All right. Um, full mind blank. Um, oh right, so Coyle would have to be. Because that's why he missed the games the other week. Um, I have a thing. Smallwood is the other one that got did he get a red card this year. No, it wasn't Smallwood. No, no. Okay. Um, the other one this year was against QPR. If that helps. So what was that week two or three? It's probably a little while ago now. New player signed this season. Uh, oh, Moncur. Of course. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. That was the. Yep, that was that red card. Um, um, the third one, the third one, I can, I could, I could um, understand if it was a difficult one to remember, but it was against the same opponent. So Coyle got his red card against Blackpool, and this player got his red card against Blackpool last season. No longer plays for us, and plays against one of the uh, teams that we've just discussed facing this week. Pre- you know, we lost against this week. Uh, plays for plays, one of the teams. We- yes. Uh, who went to Luton? Burke? Bingo. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it was Burke against Blackpool last season. So Burke, Monker, and Coyle as the last three Reds. I suspect there could be a, another one joining them in the next few weeks. We'll see. Um, but yeah, no, it was funny. I actually had it written out as Coyle, Burke, and Magenis because I thought, oh, you know, he got two red cards last season. He'll be on it. And mm-hmm. then I went, oh, actually, hang on. Even I'd forgotten Monker got a red card earlier in the season against QPR as well. So, um, there you go. We've had, I mean, I, I say that there's probably a red card coming, but I have to say, I mean, we haven't been too ill-disciplined, I don't think. I mean, there's been previous seasons, especially as I say with mm. Magenis, we've probably copped a few more red cards than, than we have so far. So I think that's what but, I was thinking of. When he first came, did he, I swear, he, did he get like two or three red cards in the space of in the like same, six, yeah, it, six it, it, five games or something? Like he got a red card and then he played like a few games and he got another dumb red card and then... And they were always straight reds as well. They weren't mm. second yellows. It was it was always like, and it, it, I think it was the season we went down where it was just like, um, obviously a bit bit of frustration yeah. showing for Josh. Um, okay, well let's round things off with a preview of that Coventry game. Um, so Coventry sitting in fourth position at the moment, doing really well after a few people were tipping them for relegation this season. So um, I guess overperforming in that sense, but um, really. They, they sort of have that vibe of like Bournemouth or another or, or um, even Luton and, and teams like that who've, who've come from the lower leagues, really sort of built 
built the the side together and, and come up a few divisions. Um, Mark Robbins, the manager, was with them from League Two through to through League One into the Championship. Um, um, I think the last time we played them was in 2012, which I, th- I thought was quite a, a fun quirk, considering the fact that last time we played them, we had uh, Martin Waghorn on our, in our side on loan from Leicester, and, and he's now lining up for them. It, I mean, I thought he was older than he was. I think he's only like 29 or 30 now, considering he was with us nine years ago when he was like 20 or 21. Um, so he's he's been around for a while, and he's doing pretty well for them um, alongside Victor Jokeretz, who's on loan from Brighton. Um, I think he's a, he's a Swedish striker who's um, unseated Ibrahimovic in the Swedish side, so must be doing something right. But, uh, yeah, look, I mean, I sort of put this game in the same category as Luton, and it's, I mean, they're fourth, Luton the fifth, so it's a pretty similar league position, similar sort of travelling, just about the same, tough game. I don't hold out a lot of hope for this one, but how do you see it? Um, yeah, I think like how pretty much my thoughts are how I think I opened the podcast, saying that pretty much my all my positivity and my optimism has is gone. Uh, on your on the sheet here it says changes to our side for the game, and my first thought was please. <laughs> so, um, well, I don't, I can't. I, honestly, I'm just so disappointed with how we're going at the moment. Um, it, it, it's I like the Homer be... Simpson. It's like the Homer Simpson. Don't, don't write in this space. Okay, changes <laughs> to our side. Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I thought you know those the, the four points just before the international break. I was really, yeah. you know, really positive. Really thought we'd turn a corner, and it's that like one step forward, two steps back, and now. I can't even see the corner that I thought we turned. Um, I just, yeah, you know, probably another one of these, you know, 1-0 losses or 2-1 or loss or something. Another one of those games that we go, you know, if we could have just put the ball in the net, we probably could have got points from that. Um, mm. But, you know, we then probably won't put the ball in the net and we won't get any points from it. Yeah, I think I think sort of like I was saying as well, it, it actually makes it more frustrating to watch because we're not getting blown away. So you're not sort of sitting there saying, ah, oh. it's it's I guess it's it's just not evoking any emotion. Like mm. if it was a five nil loss, you'd be like, oh, I'm really angry, I'm really like annoyed at that performance, that was terrible, get really pissed off. Or if you win, you know, obviously over the moon. But losing one nil or two one, you're kinda of like, Oh, like I don't know how to feel about that. Like I'm very lukewarm. I just don't have an emotion mm. for it. It's it's almost it's it's just more frustrating because it makes you so apathetic to the um to the performances and as you say I mean I'm sure that we're gonna sit there on Saturday night at midnight when the lineups come out refresh our feed see the lineup and it'll be Ingram Greaves Elder Bernard Coyle Smallwood uh, Honeyman KLP. And and that'll be the side. And it's the most predictable 11 in the most predictable formation. And that's why we lose because opposition managers can predict our lineup and prepare for it. Um, So I don't know, just something exciting. Bring in Williams, give him a start for Wilkes. Bring in Moncur, give him a start for uh, Smallwood, perhaps. Uh, Bring in Emmanuel, give him a start for Coyle. All of the above, one of the above, just something to just say, okay, we're trying something. It's a bit bit different, not what we're expecting. Um, Smith up top for Magenis, maybe. I don't know. Something like that. Um, three five two. Give us a 3-5-2. Or 3-5-2. Yeah, just give us three five two. Give us something to get excited about. Um well, if, like you, if they play the three five two, like and they play with the three center backs, okay. You're worried about a center back getting injured. If someone gets injured, you just go back to or yeah. 
do whatever, and then just revert to a oh, yeah, 4-3-3. Yeah. Like, if, some, if something happens, and then just shift it around a bit. Yeah, you just have to be a little bit more selective in your um, in your forward options. Like, yeah. I, I can't remember where I saw the suggestion, but I feel like but just put Coyle in at centre-back. If you don't want to start McLaughlin, hmm. Coyle, I think, would do a decent job, and then you can have him and Emmanuel almost rotating hmm. between the positions. I just... I feel like Emmanuel at, at wing back would just be phenomenal mm. for us. And he's shown that against Middlesbrough as well. And, you know, we said before, I mean, two clean sheets with Emmanuel starting, two wins with Emmanuel starting. I just don't know what the kid has to do to get back into the side. Um, I think I tweeted when I saw the lineup for the Luton game that he must be packing his bags. He must be so fed up of not getting a chance in the side. Um, I'd be very interested to see what happens with him in January. Um, I mean, he, he could be... He could be one of those who's very happy just to have a place in the squad and, and be, you know, sort of a professional in that sense. But, yeah, I, I don't know what he has to do. Yeah, look, it's what, I guess it's one of those things. Like, it's, it's again, like one of those, like, if you were, if every game was a was a, was a nil-all or something and you're going, well, we're keeping clean sheets so there's no need to change the defence, you could, you know, again, you could go, well, I understand that. Um, you know, I don't agree. We need to do something, you know, more attacking and, you know, um, him coming in out of coil would give us a more threat going forward, but like you could still you can understand the thought process, but we're still you know we're conceding goals on the reg, mm. on the reg, you know we're not still don't have enough forward impetus apparently. So can we just do something? I mean, I was going to say something about it, but just something, anything, as you were alluding yeah. to before, like one change, three changes, eleven changes, don't care, just do something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's it. That's it. Um, so that will be, yeah, it'll be a tough game. I, I'm i with you. I probably see it. Look, I'll even say I'll probably see a 2 0 defeat in this one, um, which is about as bad as that we've lost so far this season. I mean, I mean, Coventry, they only have one win in their last five games. I mean, it's a shame that that one win is against Fulham and they won 4 1, um, which is a pretty impressive win. But uh, you can look at it as they do, they, they haven't won in. They've got one win in five games. Means they're not in fantastic form. Um, maybe that means that they're there for the taking. Maybe that means that there's a chance of a result. Um, yeah, we're probably almost the same. We've got one win in five games. Haven't we? Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> um, so, so not in my and a draw. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so somehow um, we're in better form than that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, we, and we, you know, we got a draw against Bournemouth, who are you know sort of undefeated, sitting top of the table. So. It's just it's just such a weird season for us. Um, I think if we were, like I said, I think if we were losing games two, by two or three nil or something like that, I'd feel much more that the position we're in is sort of accurate. But it just feels like, uh, who knows? I mean, look, if we can win this game, I think if if we win a game like this, I mean, beating Preston, beating Vara, pretty decent results but if we can beat Coventry or someone like that it's sort of a shock result it gives us a bit of confidence again but look I think at, at most I could hope for a 1-1 draw I think I don't think we're going to hope for that much <laughs> well on, on that bright bright and sunny note <laughs> <laughs> thanks for joining me Dan it's been a long one in the end but I thought uh got through a few good topics yeah, no, look, we had plenty to talk about and we talked about plenty. So it was a pleasure coming on. Too easy. Okay, well, thank you, everyone, for listening in as well. We'll be back this time next week to discuss the two games that we have next week before the international break. But until then, come on, City. You've been listening to the official Hull City Australia podcast. 
For more discussion, join us on Facebook in the Hull City AFC Australian Supporters Group or follow us on Twitter at Hull City AFC Oz. The music was created by Amber and Black. There's no turning back cause you're out